I've had people in my life um, who, okay, no, 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 don't talk about it. Don't, don't be negative about it. You're going to feel worse or don't cry. Mm -hmm. Don't cry. You know, like just make yourself happy. Think, think about something else. Um, Well, that's not really the healthiest way to overcome something. You know, you have to let yourself feel your feelings and go through them. Not, you know, you have to go, you have to be able to step through these muddy dark places in your mind and kind of get through them to understand that you can get through them instead of avoidance and I think in the sense my fiance was very amazing at just kind of letting me feel and go through these stages without trying to change the way I felt just kind of hey I'm here I support you I love you let me know if I can do anything for you My name is Sarah, and welcome to Her Ascension Story, the podcast that proves the world is transformed by every hero's personal adventure. Here we talk about the real and the raw things that we should all be talking about more. So if you want to be a part of the movement of getting real about the deeper, more meaningful things about life, be sure to subscribe and follow and get ready to get real. My hope is that this platform inspires you to explore and expand new empowering beliefs about yourself so you can make your own impassionate impact too. And those three pillars, inspiration, independence, and impact, aren't just the premise for this podcast, but for my work too. If you want to check out that more, be sure to go to HerAscensionStory.com or check me out on social media at HerAscensionStory. Welcome back, everyone. Today with us is a private chef from LA who travels the world to find inspiring food and sustainable practices. Her name is Larissa DaCosta, and she's a world traveler and enthusiastic food researcher. Larissa's journey began growing up in the Brazilian Amazon and has been refined in Europe and Asia and flourishes now in Southern California. She has so many stories and so many beautiful life experiences, such as working in one of the world's best 50 restaurants, one of the best in Asia in Bali, living in a Zen monastery in California, traveling and getting to work with one of her heroes and more of her heroes around the world and so much more. I am so excited to hear her story and to get to share it with you guys. Thank you, Larissa, so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me, Sarah. So I really love your work. I'm I'm just so inspired by you, um, especially the fact that you travel the world to find inspiring food and sustainable practices. And the fact that you grew up in the Brazilian Amazon and your grandma was the one that ignited your food passion. So how did that experience with your grandma and growing up in that environment, how did that shape you not just as a chef, but as the person that you are today? Well, um, as a little kid, that reality is all I knew. Um, I thought that the world outside would be kind of, you know, people would have similar practices because to me, they were just common sense, Um, you know, like to compost your vegetables and make sure everything is organic and fresh and um, not as much packaged food. Um, It wasn't until I moved into the U.S. that I realized how different my life was. (laughs) Um, So to me, it was just normal reality. It was everyday reality. Um, I didn't really 
label it as sustainable or as organic food. It was just, you know, what my reality was like on a daily basis. Um, in retrospect, it really taught me how to appreciate feeling grounded in nature almost as, as a daily basis. It's something that I didn't know how good I had and how special that was until that was taken away from me. Um, yeah, I think that's how it impacted me. It really learned, it, it taught me how to value nature and be in contact with nature, how to be in contact and know where your food comes from. Um, yeah, and how to really be a part of the cycle rather than thinking that you are kind of above it in a way. Mm. Um, we're just a, a part of that dynamic in nature you know in the way that we grew up we didn't um, manage it too much you know we just lived in a little hut in the Amazon forest you know by the Amazon river we just kind of let the environment be what it was and we adapted to it rather than try to manipulate it as much as the modern society does um, and realize that all these things that we did in order to make our lives easier and more practical are ultimately making us more stressed out and more <laughs> disconnected um yeah so in fact when I was a child I kind of looked into the modern society and in awe and was like wow one day maybe I will you know be in a big city or have access to you know certain commodities and here I am in Los Angeles dreaming about being back in the jungle <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah, I think everything comes with with a price. I think that was the other big lesson for me. Like all these commodities, these conveniences came with a big price. That's really interesting. So do you feel, I have to ask this, just because the the picture that I painted in my head of you living in the Amazon and how you, like even in, um, you know, the bio that you sent me, you said that when you are seated at a table that you are serving the food, you combine the elements of nature pretty much. Like you want to feel like the nutrients of the soil and the freshness of the air in your dishes and everything. So it seems pretty spiritual almost, not spiritual as in, you know, practicing religion, just on a soul level. And so yeah. do you feel like, um, you know, your experience of growing up in the Amazon kinetic connected you on a soul level um just in your life and developed your spirituality at all or I think so you know again it's not something that I when I in my early life I ever labeled as spiritual but now in retrospect it definitely was um you know as I said we were just a part of the dynamic of nature of you know being in, in a certain environment and I think in a way that comes with that comes almost like humility and kind of I don't necessarily take a lot of credit for the food that I serve as much as I think I just want to highlight what's already there um, and I think that's why I'm so concerned about the quality of ingredients that I access right I want to make sure that the soil is healthy I want to make sure that the people who are producing it are getting paid and treated well 
Um, because all of that does get transferred into the food, whether you want to believe it or not, whether you are, you know, a, somebody who does scientific research and phys- physics research or just a, on, on a soul and spiritual level, like all these things add up into something that you're intaking in your body. And that is a spiritual experience. You know, um, I think my job really is to just be sensitive enough to let these ingredients speak for themselves and allow them to do the beautiful thing that they do once they enter your body, which in a very superficial level, if the food is really delicious, you're instantly present, Hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's in in itself as a spiritual experience. You're fully present. You're no longer worried about tomorrow. You're no longer regretting yesterday. You're just fully present to this delicious bite that's in your mouth. And if you go a little bit farther, you know, if the food is nutritious, if the food was produced with love, that also feeds your body and as well as your soul. So yes, I do feel like growing up the way I did gave me a deeper perspective that I definitely took it for granted or just didn't understand how special that was. Um, But now I really do. And I try to bring that with me wherever I go. I love that so much. It really sounds like, you know, when we're practicing our own versions of spirituality, you know, some people use malas and mantras and some people, you know, just go out on a hike or something like that. But it seems like your (laughs) conduit is food and cooking and and just nature and combining, um, you know, the power of the soul and the power of nature together on a plate. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it just, it's naturally occurring to me. It wasn't anything that I, you know, kind of made a plan of my future. It's just so, it's almost like I don't have a choice. It's the only <laughs> thing I think about and dream about. And yeah, it, it's, ingrained that's beautiful that's a calling though right (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely so going off of that your you know passion for food and just you know like at a soul level has actually taken you all across the world um and I really want to hear about your experience cooking at one of the best restaurants in Asia in Bali correct Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes um yeah that was very special very special in so many ways for me um I so for a couple reasons why um one is because in Brazil we have access to all these really beautiful tropical produce like these fruits and vegetables that I don't rarely see you know in North America in Europe which were primarily the places that I cooked professionally And when I moved to Bali, I realized there was all these nostalgic ingredients that reminded me of home, these fruits, these these vegetables that really reminded me of home. They use a lot of mango and coconuts and fresh ginger root, all these things that were a part of my upbringing. And I never had used them on a level of fine dining before. And it kind of, it, it was a way of like combining you know, the jungle, which is like where my roots are from. I'm not from Indonesia, obviously, but it still felt very homey um, with my experience as a more like a Michelin star uh, cook or, you know, somebody who has more refined skills in my world. 
Um, and the other reason why it was so special is because I was immersed in a culture that was so different to my own, yet everything looked so familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so it was mind-boggling, you know. Um, and and I have to say that living in Bali is special in its own way, just because, you know, it's a, I don't know, it's an island that is so spiritual and and in a good way, in a bad way, you know, like they call it, um, some people say that there are a lot of haunted spirits in Bali, which you can definitely feel both the dark and the light energy really just everywhere you go. Um, and it was a big place for me to like kind of purge all the craziness that my life was prior to that and almost like a big nice spiritual cleanse in a way Hmm. um and yeah and I've done a lot of these experiences alone you know I never traveled I haven't traveled as much for work with a partner or with a friend or with a coworker. so in a way you know traveling alone is is brings a lot of that you know you get to reflect a lot you don't know anybody on the other side so inevitably you spend a lot of time with yourself and it becomes deeper than you anticipated (laughs) I love it that's so true too it it kind of is just symbolic of how we travel like life alone I mean you can have like companions and everything but ultimately like it's your path and you're going to have your experience and even if you travel with people everybody is still having their own experience absolutely absolutely yeah I have to say one thing that was challenging about that specific aspect of traveling alone I love traveling alone. Really, I think for me, it's the ultimate. However, Bali had so many unique, special things that I really wish there was somebody that I love and know that could see it with me, Um, you know, to experience that with me, that we can talk about it later, Um, initially. And then eventually I made friends. In fact, one of my best friends are... Um, is somebody that I met in Bali, you know, and we're still really close. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a special place. So I definitely want to get more into, um, you know, more of your work and everything. But you also mentioned that you lived in a Zen monastery in California. Can you share about that too? Well, (laughs) (laughs) I will share a little bit what led into that decision also. Okay, perfect. And then going into actually committing to do it. Um, So that was maybe four years ago. I was getting out of a long-term relationship that was really meaningful to me. And that rupture (laughs) really created a big identity crisis, you know, Um, and I wasn't sure how I was going to navigate the world without this other person's like guidance and, you know, and company. And, and so I almost had like a, not like a breakdown. I wouldn't call it that because it wasn't like dramatic with tears or anything. It was more like I felt numb for about three months of like, I wasn't feeling happiness or sadness. I was just kind of like feeling a little dead inside. 
and I didn't know how necessarily to reconnect with myself. And I, out of curiosity, went to this Buddhist monastery as like a weekend retreat, um, just to spend the weekend and meditate and with a friend and at the time. And for whatever reason, after I returned home, I stumbled on their website and I saw that they were taking students. <laughs> it was such an impulsive decision. It was, <laughs> I literally saw it, applied for it the same day, um, had my therapist and a spiritual kind of like a coach that I had at the time write a letter of recommendation and send it to you know the universe and never heard back for three months and thought that that was going to be it. And then one day, just get an email. You've been accepted. Um, be here in a month and a half. So I quit my job and got rid of my car and got rid of my apartment, packed my bags and went. And that was the best decision I've ever made in my life. Because Zen Buddhism has a lot of nuances that I wasn't used to. Um, in a way, it felt dogmatic. Um which I didn't love initially. Um, but it really was about being present to your body. Um, I was, prior to that, I was a Vipassana meditation practitioner. And in Vipassana meditation, they really highlight um, be present to your mind and be present to your body sensation. Um, Zen Buddhism, it was very much just be aware of your body posture. Your posture has to be pristine. Your walk has to be pristine. The way you present yourself has to be pristine. It's really about committing to having an upright position and, and not, you know, and, and in a way, it was so special because I realized how you could see my insecurities through my body language and Zen basically re reverted that by reverting body language in a way. Mm. Um, because by sitting upright and by, you know, having a certain posture and being aware of everywhere I stepped and the way that I stepped and always having like an upright presence that brought the upright mentality into my own world. Um, so that was the first time that I experienced rather than changing my mind in order to change my body, I changed my body and went in, in order to change my mind without even realizing I was doing it. Hmm. Um, and I mean, and that's just my own personal experience. But above that, it's just a beautiful uh, place called Tassahara Zen Monastery. It's off the grid in the middle of a national forest with no electricity, very limited resources, hot springs. It was so magical. Uh, I was there for six months and made lifetime friends. And it was a beautiful practice. It was really a way for me to reconnect with myself, you know, realize what my goals in life really, really were on a deeper level. Um, let go of you know, everyday insecurities, you know, living in Los Angeles is such a, I don't want to say a superficial city, because, you know, there are people from all kinds of walks of life, but 
it is the city that ultimately really highlights and prioritizes the way you look and the car you drive and you know and whether you want it or not your environment really does you know make an impact in your mindset Mm -hmm. so to remove myself from that and just be in nature once again in a forest once again without electricity once again being you know present to my body once again was everything that I needed to realize and to remember who I really am stripped down from all of these labels and all of these things that I you know slowly became attached to like when you strip all of that away and nobody knows who you are and what you have what you possess who are you you know with without the makeup without the you know, without any of these things, who are you? And it was a good, it was a, it was a good experience to remind myself and not just that, but in such a small, small community, you really get to see who you are and how do you make other people feel? Hmm. You know, there's no cell phone to kind of have that emotional pacifier when you're uncomfortable people don't look down at their phones they just look at you and you can see that you made them uncomfortable you made them happy or you made them you know it, it just it to have all of these little comforts stripped away were it, it was so nice it was so special that sounds so powerful yeah it was <laughs> it really was and well, it was just nice to be around animals again, you know? Oh, yeah. You, know, you get out of your little hut and there's a snake or there's a little skunk or there's a little bat in your room or a little mice. <laughs> it was just so special to just feel like, again, just you're a part of this. You're a part of this um, circle. You're not above it. <laughs> That's beautiful. Was there like one specific moment that or memory that stands out to you of kind of like a turning point um, during that experience, a turning point from, I mean, we go through all of these chapters and all these rebirths throughout our lifetime. And so, of course, Bali was definitely one for you. But while you were at the monastery, do you remember like if there was one specific moment that you're, you're like, okay, I'm letting go of how I've existed and had my role in the world and now I'm going into this kind of being absolutely um I well it was on a beautiful hike on the top of a mountain with a friend and I think it was he's he's a very deep person he's actually a poet um and he asked questions that I never really even got to ask myself and one of them were you know when you get out of here if you if you get out um what do you think you're gonna do after and I never thought about doing anything different that I was doing before I left but that gave me the chance to be like whoa I don't have to return to my everyday job and my everyday life and my everyday apartment and my everyday car I already got rid of these things I it's basically a white canvas now so what am I going to paint on it and that's when the visceral feeling of I need to go to Copenhagen and I need to apprentice under these chefs that are working with sustainability and making that a priority in their career it hit me 
And I didn't know how I was going to get there, how I was going to meet these people, how I was going to enter that workforce, acquire that visa. All I, ne- all I knew was that I was going to do it. In that moment, it just hit me like a little fire in my belly, you know, like, ah, oh, that's what I'm going to do. And I stuck to it and I'm going to travel the world and I'm going, you know, all these things that I ended up really going for in life were rooted in that one little moment from that one single question. Hmm. Um, and I'm so grateful for that little moment. Oh, yay. So I'm yeah. like excited for you. <laughs> like just, <laughs> I'm playing it like it's a movie in my head and it just it seems like such a, you know, like a climax moment of the movie. So in Copenhagen, you got to work with one of your heroes. And, yes, um, a couple of my heroes. Actually, a lot of my heroes. Oh, that's awesome. So what kind of, did you experience any challenges? You didn't know how you were going to do it. So, you know, can you kind of like share how you actually made it happen? Like any challenges that you went through? And then I, also just how amazing it was to work with heroes. <laughs> so how was a, it was actually a lot of, miracles <laughs> I I don't like using that word but I don't know any other way to explain what happened I made the decision I left the monastery and went to Copenhagen just to visit and visit a couple friends and see my family um, like for a little family reunion and I returned home like how the hell am I going to get a visa how the hell am I going to meet these people who are the game changers, you know, if not just to introduce myself, but, you know, it's so awkward. Everybody else is approaching them with the same proposal. So I, out of the blue, after coming home, maybe two weeks later, I have a friend of mine, one of my best friends, he calls me and he's like, hey, um, you know, I have a friend of mine. She um, has a friend of a friend of a friend, you know, for whatever (laughs) reason. Um, he's a chef at Relay, you know, the restaurant that you love in Copenhagen. And I thought of you, he's in LA right now. Why don't I introduce you the two of you? Or why don't you hit him up and ask your questions and see how you can, you know, maybe connect with him? I said, amazing, great. So we, I took him on a food tour, this uh, Copenhagen chef of Los Angeles and ended up picking his brain and saying, look, I've been wanting to apprentice under Christian Puglisi, who's your boss now. Is there any way that you could give me a couple tips? And he really was happy to help. And, and then, you know, I had another friend who um, is an amazing writer and she was like, okay, I'm going to help you write your letter of, um, you know, your cover letter. And another friend who, is a recruiter, you know, for restaurants. It's like, okay, this is how you do to get into the best restaurants. I'm going to help you write your resume. But the funny thing is, is that a lot of times I was going after my dreams, but also a lot of other times they were coming after me. Like some people were reaching out to me saying, hey, I thought of you, you know, this guy is in town or, hey, I thought of you. I'm working with, um, you know, restaurant recruiting. You know, if you need a help getting a job just let me know and I can help you you know I was like wow this is so crazy like I'm <laughs> somehow manifesting this but even even then I wasn't really talking about it as much you know verbally 
I think I was thinking about it so obsessively that I was attracting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting there and working with my heroes. In some ways, it was intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> because, for example, working with, you know, under Christian Puglisi, he had so much on his plate. Um, you know, he was so dedicated to... At the time, he had four restaurants, uh, a wine, like a natural wine, natural, organic, biodynamic wine business, uh, you know, importing wine to Copenhagen. He also had an organic farm that provided the food to the restaurants, and he was running all of that. And I always looked at him as my hero. And once I got to see how busy and stressed out he was, I was like, I don't know if he, I, I don't know if I can do this. You know, is this really for me? Um, I don't know if it's worth this much, you know, of, you know, so much sacrifice, um, because I could see how much it takes in order to make a big change. Um, so in a way it was intimidating in other ways, it was so inspiring also because a lot of the people that I was working with, they were so young. Um, they were definitely some veterans running the show, but a lot of the people taking a lot of initiative and, you know, making things happen and and creating their own small businesses that were grounded in sustainability, that were trying to pass laws in Denmark in order to make a f- organic food more accessible. They were all in their early, mid, late 20s. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't even know, you know, I think I never expected people to be so young and so active and, and awake. Um, so in a way, I felt so inspired by these young people who were really doing everything they could to change the system and make it better and not make it about themselves, but make it about what's best and healthier for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was that was really inspiring. And I have to say that working with your heroes is also disappointing because when you put somebody in a pedestal you expect them to be perfect <laughs> and they're perfect in some aspects but others they're not um and i'm not going to say any names but there are some people that i worked with that were very committed to changing the world and changing the system and making things you know more accessible undoubtedly but they were very unpleasant human beings to be around and not necessarily loving or kind Um, so in a way that really made me realize we're all just human, you know, we're all just human. We're all struggling in our own ways, regardless of how perfect we can seem from the outside. Yeah, Yeah. that's such a good lesson to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the one thing I have to say, one last thing is I was a little sad about the little amount of women that were involved in these projects. Not to say that there weren't any, um, but it was definitely a vast minority. Um, I don't know if it's because of how they hire or if it's just because it's such an intense, physically intense job that it's, you know, less women are enticed by it but I was saddened by that Hmm. 
So how did you feel being a woman and being in that environment and doing the work and everything? It was really hard. Um, It was amazing in a way because it really taught me to be a lot stronger than I thought I could be, you know, physically, emotionally, um, mentally, spiritually, all of all of the layers. Um, I have to say physically, you know, you wake up at nine in the morning, you have to be at work at 10 you work until two in the morning <laughs> and the next day you do it again. And then the next day you go to the farm at five in the morning, you get two, three hours of sleep. So physically it was so challenging. And mentally to just be outnumbered by so much masculine energy um, it was challenging also because it was a lot of young, young guys. So not in the sense that I felt sexually harassed or any any of that I felt respected in that sense in every level you know I never felt like they were making comments that were making me uncomfortable or any of that but they were just a bit ruthless with one another um and with me I mean I wasn't you know they didn't spare me (laughs) um so a lot of what I thought was a bit childish like really a, a really heavy sense of competition you know, not a huge sense of teamwork, you know, we're not all competing against each other, we're all on the same team, working for the same restaurant, and, you know, with the same kind of goal and mission, we all value sustainability, we all value the same thing, so why are we trying to be better than one another, rather than better one another? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, I love how you worded that. So that was the the biggest challenge about being in that predominantly male environment. I think at some point I was the only girl in the kitchen and there were 22 people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, just from what you've shared, you know, we're only like, what, half an hour into this conversation, but you've shared so many golden experiences and so many lessons that you've learned but what would you say I don't I don't know if you can pick one but maybe like the top Mm -hmm. couple or few lessons that you've learned throughout all of this you know from your childhood and growing up the way that you did and now where you are oh you mean overall life lessons Mm -hmm. man I think I'm learning one at the moment so I don't know if it's overall the biggest or it's just feels like the biggest because it's currently here um I think it's really to learn to surrender to life um and I don't mean that in a way like I'll just give up you know I just mean life will happen and it will not be in your control so really set your goal, strive, do your best, and really, really, really expect nothing but lessons in return. You know, you might achieve what you want to achieve, you might not, but you just have to really put your, your blood, tears, love, sweat, (laughs) energy, you know, and you, and you have to understand that it, it, it might, 
turn out the way you want it to turn out and it might not and it's okay either way and it's valuable either way um and you're learning either way and you're growing either way if you decide to um so in a way it's a mix of surrender and be resilient simultaneously Mm -hmm. i love it those are like the two big keys to really transforming and growing i feel like absolutely absolutely and I think that if you take life with that in mind, there is no failing, there is no losing, there is no, there's just learning and growing, you know, and if you don't grow career-wise, you'll grow spiritually. If you don't grow spiritually, maybe your growth bank account-wise, <laughs> you know, you always, you can always make something out of a situation, of an, of an experience. I think it's just our mindset and our attitude. Um and I think that has been a big, yeah, a big one for me because all of these experiences were with a very big goal in mind, which was to become this, you know, um, big figure one day that is like a chef figure and maybe have my own restaurant or maybe have my own Michelin star and one day and then. I was gifted with a very intense degenerative disease, (laughs) an autoimmune disease that just recently started to really, you know, manifest itself in my life. It's not at all what I thought was going to happen, you know, and these challenges have been physically making my career physically a lot harder and have having me have to rethink all of it and what I'm making off of it. Definitely not what I expected. Definitely a big plot twist to my goals and life plans. But I guess it's just, again, having this feeling of, all right, I got to surrender and I have to be resilient and I can make something out of these. All of these amazing experiences were not in vain. You know, and I didn't accomplish these things in vain. Um, Now, again, back to the drawing board. Wow. That seems like a really, I want to say humbling, but I think the energy is more grounding um, to your journey, I think. So how do you cope with the autoimmune disease and overall just cope with the transformations that you know your process has brought to your life so initially (laughs) um honestly I had so many great tools um just from studying mindfulness and meditation and for whatever reason it was it hit me so deeply that I it didn't occur to me to use any of them I just kind of went through denial, you know, thinking that maybe the doctor exaggerated my diagnosis or maybe I exaggerated my symptoms and then I got misdiagnosed. And the next thing that ran through, like the next coping mechanism was perhaps um, really letting myself grieve my old life, you know, because once my doctor said, okay, this is how the disease will develop in most people you know eventually you lose mobility um and you know it can kind of affect it like has neurological effects as well as affects your heart your lungs 
all of these crazy things that I never thought I would experience. And so the next thing that came through my mind is, wow, um, this, this person that I once was, this lifestyle that I once had, these passions that I, you know, have been pursuing at some point, you know, um, will not be able to be a part of my life any longer. So it felt like I was at my own funeral. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I'm a dancer. I'm a chef. Um, I'm a traveler. I'm a, you know, a big nature explorer. And all of these things seemed like they were going to start fading away from my life experience. Um, definitely at the intensity that I've been practicing them. Um, and perhaps in, you know, forever, per perhaps totally. Um, and I didn't know, or I still don't know how quickly that will kind of evolve or, you know, or if science will have a breakthrough and we'll be able to stop this from progressing. But it was really, I, I had to allow myself to let my old self I this is going to sound very, very dramatic but I had to let my old self die <laughs> in a way just kind of like let myself grieve you know not being able to dance salsa every weekend um to maybe not be able to be in a professional kitchen you know um and playing the same role that I was playing before as a cook um and and that was really hard for me. And it still is, honestly. Um, I think it's becoming better. And I think I almost went through a growth stunt when that news came to my life. Um, I really wasn't pursuing meditation as much. I wasn't pursuing therapy as much. I wasn't pursuing anything else as much. You know, cooking has always been the deepest my first love you know like literally my first mm -hmm. love and to feel like I wasn't going to be able to practice that anymore um was the biggest heartbreak the the hardest breakup <laughs> you know I've ever experienced and you know I think right now um I recently have been reconnecting with myself on a more positive you know kind of on a more positive end and recently had this kind of moment I was just in Tulum and I went to a little you know shamanic ceremony I know it sounds corny but it wasn't it was so beautiful and in the middle of that we had to do a little offering and we could either you know thank the universe for something or ask something of the universe and I think one thing that I occurred to me that moment was doesn't matter what life throws at you. You can't stop growing. You can't stop evolving. <laughs> you really, you really can't stop. You cannot allow yourself to stop growing. That's not okay. Um, and I think from that moment on, it kind of turned on the little flame back on, you know, in within myself to be like, no, this is not, it you know um this is not it and I think the one thing that really helped me 
I think the ultimate coping mechanism and the healthiest and the one that has always once I remember and once I really make the decision to go back to my meditation cushion and sit and just be with myself that is the best thing I can do for myself every single time it never fails um so I think that moment was like all right okay enough grieving you know what it is what it is now what (laughs) um now what are we gonna do you know so I think from that on I could go back to the drawing board make time more time for myself and understand that maybe this is a blessing in disguise I don't know you know we we don't know I've been through so many challenges in my life and somehow I've always been able to make something beautiful out of them and why not this experience why can't this be one of them um and because the hurdle is bigger maybe the the impact will be bigger too you know maybe the the awakening will be bigger as well and it's whatever I make out of this so that has been more motivating you know definitely a healthier coping mechanism um and now I'm going back to therapy you know and it's something that I did for a lot of years and it was super helpful um I did therapy with a hypnotherapist Um, and she also was the one who kind of inspired me to start meditating. And, um, I think that is a good time for me to just kind of get back in the drawing board and remind myself to be very loving and compassionate with myself. And ultimately we think that sometimes self-compassion can lead into complacency, but it's opposite, you know, the more self-compassionate you are somehow the more driven you are to actually make things happen um and I think that was something that it just recently occurred to me (laughs) um yeah just from my own yeah just from living life and and making the comparison when I'm very harsh and kind of judgmental and and very harsh with myself I can kind of that's when I hit my growth stunt (laughs) and then the moment that I went back to self-compassion and self-love and really making the time to take care of myself and be loving with myself and listen to my own needs. That's when I became more motivated to actually do something with my life that's bigger, you know? Oh my gosh. Yes. That sounds like such a huge lesson in itself. Yeah. Yeah. That was the most recent one, actually. (laughs) It's happening as we speak. This is really, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have to go through the, yeah, we have to integrate the lessons, but the moment that you realize what it is, it's just kind of like a blooming rather than, I mean, it is an integration, Mm -hmm. but it's just kind of like a becoming into it. Like, it's already there. You just have to kind of solidify it. Exactly. And I have to say, the biggest challenge for me with this specific scenario of, okay, now (laughs) I went from feeling like, you know, having this identity of, like, I'm a badass chef. I'm a world traveler. I'm a, you know, now all of a sudden it changed to like, ah, you're chronically ill, actually. (laughs) That was a big like, whoa, what? No, I'm not. Um, So I think that's what that moment was. But I think the the hardest part really was, you know, not 
like not knowing how to share this information in a way that didn't trigger pity you know or kind of like oh I'm sorry you know I don't like that and and right now the biggest challenge is really how can I share this in a way that's empowering rather than you know triggers any kind of you know this feeling of uh oh I'm so sorry that's happening to you almost you know like a pitiful reaction versus all right I'm inspired by this story I'm gonna you know push myself to accomplish something different or you know so I've so far encountered this kind of embarrassment to share this part of my life that's more recent um yeah it's been almost like a secret you know not a lot of people definitely nobody in my industry really knows it's just been you know shared with friends and family um but now it's been a couple years that this has been progressing and I'm like, hmm, okay, am I scared of being vulnerable or am I, you know, am I sharing because I want some kind of reaction from other people or compassion, you know, like I'm not trying to see what is driving me to really even share the story at the moment or, you know, Yeah. Yeah, that self-inquiry is amazing. But even questioning, you know, how vulnerable do I want to get? Or, you know, the fact that you can even admit that you feel a little bit of shame around that is is inspiring. Just that mm-hmm. alone, mm-hmm. like showing like the real authentic experience that you're having through it. And yeah. Yeah, I love it. I I think that this is definitely what you said, like the bigger the hurdle, the bigger the impact. And yeah, it seems like you've ended one phase of your life because you totally conquered it. You're on top of that mountain. And now, you know, it's just a bigger mountain. And where that goes, only you're going to find out. And it's going to be so amazing. (laughs) I hope so. And I, yes, I have to say, I've also, I have to acknowledge that this um, phase of my life, I also learned something else, which is the value of having a person or people in your life who really, really are willing to listen to you, you know, um, I'm really grateful to my partner, my fiance, for just making space for me to just feel however I feel that day and not really try to change how I feel and just understand that this is a part of a bigger process, that sometimes I do need to grieve in order to get to the next stage. Um, Sometimes I do need to feel a certain way, even though it can come out as negative at that moment, in order to overcome it. I think... Um, I've had people in my life, um, who, okay, no, 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 don't talk about it. Don't, don't be negative about it. You're going to feel worse or don't Mm -hmm. cry. Don't cry. You know, like just make yourself happy. Think, think about something else. Um, well, that's not really the healthiest way to overcome something. You know, you have to let yourself feel your feelings and go through them. Not, you know, you have to go you have to be able to step through these muddy, dark places in your mind and kind of get through them to understand that you can get through them instead of avoidance. 
And I think in the sense, my fiance was very amazing at just kind of letting me feel and go through these stages without trying to change the way I felt just kind of, Hey, I'm here. I support you. I love you. Let me know if I can do anything for you. And that was really ultimately like an amazing big love lesson because I think when somebody's going through something utterly negative or difficult, you don't want that person, that negativity to affect you. So you want them to change their mood so you can feel better. Um, and in a way, is you want them to feel better so you can feel better. And th- that is a bit selfish. You know, mm-hmm. I thought it was so selfless to let, you know, that he could just kind of let me be what I was and just, I love you no matter what, feel your feelings, you know, go through your phases, you know, and it's going to be okay. You're going to get through it. And that was really amazing to have that kind of support that sounds like such a solid fucking support system like excuse my language but to have somebody actually just create space and sit with you in it that's yeah just so many more people need to do that (laughs) yeah and honestly it's just something that came so naturally to him and it was so amazing because my whole life not to get too deep but like for example I think a good example is my mother she would always be like no 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 you can't think about it you can't feel this way so then you end up you know kind of almost numbing yourself um, Mm -hmm. instead of going through these things and it's so important to be able to get through them Um, and you're stronger in the end and I think that's what people don't realize yeah Definitely. So you can see how your support system is impacting you, but how do you feel like, you know, your experience and even if we just go based off of your parents, how they've watched their daughter grow and, and do all of these things. Um, But now with what you're going through, um, you know, with your body and with your partner, how do you see you and your journey impacting your support system? That's a great question. I think um, this definitely had a really intense impact on the closest people to me, Um, both positive and negative. You know, it is scary when a person that you love is sick and things are uncertain and all these scary things are happening, you know. But I also think, for example, for my partner, it was pretty amazing that he got to learn how strong he was. Um, You know, when when I so recently I had to just quit my last restaurant job um, here in Los Angeles and kind of go into the unknown of like, all right, now I'm a private freelancer, like private chef freelancer. Um, and obviously my frequency of work is not what used to be just because my body cannot physically handle as much. Um, and initially he was so overwhelmed by the financial pressure and the, you know, physical pressure too, because some things I cannot do as much around the house. So he's like, oh my God, now I have to work and I have to 
help you clean and I have to provide financially and I have to be there for you emotionally. It's a lot for somebody to go through. Um, So in a way, I think he would easily acknowledge that and say that he's so much stronger than he was before this happened. Um, So much stronger. And now he's a, you know, he works at Netflix and he has his dream job and he is so stable um, financially and, and things are really going beautifully for him. But I think this chaos is really what drove him to strive for that excellence, mm. you know, because basically he's like, oh, my God, it's on me now. Now I have to really, really go for it and lose my fear of rejection and just you know, apply for this job that is super intimidating, but, you know, it pays really well and it's a really cool company. And I'm like, okay, go for it. And he went for it and he got it. So in a way, it pushed him to get out of his comfort zone and kind of, you know, now I think he has proven himself a lot more resilient, a lot stronger, a lot more capable professionally. And it was due to this one really hard thing that we went through um mainly and I think with my mother um it brought us a lot closer I think my mother had me so so young so there was a lot our relationship felt a lot more like a friendship than a mother-daughter relationship most of my life um and I think that the disease gave her this perspective of like oh my god I'm a mother (laughs) that's not my friend you know that's not a person that I talk about fashion and you know outfits it's like we are gonna now have to talk about real things and we're gonna have to talk about deep things and we're gonna have to cope with loss together and um, I think it really helped her step up to her plate as a parent Um, which I'm 30 now um you know, for me, I never thought I would see her kind of step up to that figure. You know, like if you haven't done it by the time I was a teen, it probably wouldn't happen. I think that's what my mind, where my mind was. And I think that really kind of was a hard slap across the face of like, oh, wow, this is my child. And and I need to be there for her emotionally as well as physically. And I need to, you know, offer her this like motherly guidance and love and energy and I didn't know she had it in her but she does and it was really beautiful to see that relationship transform to a much deeper much more loving and much more real than it ever was so that was a gift that was given by this condition (laughs) and this new circumstance oh wow I was cheering up there. That's so inspiring. <laughs> and just seeing how or hearing how you can actually see the people growing with you. I think something through that, it's so it feels so comforting and so um and not that we need validation, but it feels good to have that validation of people growing with you in a situation like that. Yeah, absolutely. It it has helped them grow. Obviously, Again, growth can be very painful. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. ultimately positive, you know, but, you know, growing hurts. And I think that 
that's the part that was difficult for me to see, you know, that what was affecting me was also affecting them and hurting them. Um, but ultimately, we we're all kind of growing together, evolving together. And that was, it is very valuable. And I'm really grateful for that. Hmm. So where, what do you love most about where you are now in your life? Um, honestly, I like the fact that I'm not stuck with anything in particular. I have this kind of blank canvas and I can, I get to create now what my career is going to be from scratch, um, which is both, you know, scary and exciting um, to just have to reevaluate all right like now what now how do I want to impact the world within my limitations you know and how am I going to use these to kind of make other parts of myself stronger you know maybe my body is not as um, resilient as it used to be but maybe now I have more time to sharpen my mind Maybe I have now I have a lot more time to study um, and deepen some things that I've always was so curious about. I've always loved history, but never had, you know, I always prioritize learning about food instead of learning about history because that was also my source of income. Now I have more time to study history. I have more time to um, meditate. I have more time to work on myself, you know, and I have more time to maybe go back to therapy and and do all these little things that somehow when you have a really busy work schedule, they become secondary. And now these things became primary again. And I'm really grateful for that because that feels really good. Yeah. I love it. So if people want to, you know, just learn more about you and kind of follow you, where can they find you? I like to post recently um in the past couple years more on instagram um yeah i i share a lot of my food journeys and my food research i think lately i've been doing a lot more research about things in sustainability that um i've been passionate about and even started a kind of a project that will turn into a tv series um but until then on Instagram (laughs) Um, yeah so every so often now that I have more time in my hands I do a lot of research about certain ingredients and their history you know I I combine my love for food and my love for history and learn more about where they come from their historical root and trade and the impact that they make on workers life and people's life who are actually growing and Um, so I'm, you know, shifting in that direction at the moment and Instagram is where I've been sharing all my updates and my new foundings. Awesome. And what's your handle on there? Is chef.larissa. Okay, great. Awesome. Okay. So I only have one last question. I wish I could keep talking. No, no, no. This is (laughs) plentiful. Um, so I think that... This is my favorite question to ask, but I think it's a great question for everybody listening to ask themselves. 
So the question is, who is the superhero inside of you that has all the power you could ever need? Ah, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, which is a blessing and a curse. (laughs) (laughs) How so? uh, You have to take responsibility for everything. You know, if you outsource it, then you can always say, oh, so-and-so, you know, somebody else. It's somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's influence. But I think in mine, I feel very personal. Like, I really do feel like I pull myself out of any difficult hurdles. I mean, obviously, I inherited a lot of wisdom from my family and my father, um, my grandmother. But I think ultimately, I'm the one, you know, driving this vehicle and making the calls and calling the shots so I have I better be my own superhero Um, and as you said we're all alone ultimately alone and we come alone and we'll leave alone in this journey so just remind myself to really truly take responsibility for my actions and take responsibility for the energy that I bring into a room and for the impact that I leave behind Yes, 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 yes. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I have so much gratitude for you coming on and sharing your story. It's been such an honor and I appreciate you so much. Sarah, the honor is mutual. Thank you so much for asking these questions and taking the time to get to know me better. It was a pleasure. I mean it. you for listening to this podcast. I hope that this episode has some way inspired you to take control, given you the tools to feel secure and on fire in your own independence, and help to unlock within you the impact that you're here to make. You're not born with a purpose. You're born as your purpose. It's already inside of you, and it's your responsibility in this life to live that in the truest way possible. If you've gotten any sort of value out of this episode, please share it so that we can together expand our inspiration and our impact in this world.